Good morning. Today's headlines, the royal funeral of Queen Elizabeth II will be held today in Westminster Abbey in London. Around 500 state leaders and royals from around the world are expected to attend. Hurricane Fiona hit Puerto Rico on Sunday. The storm caused massive blackouts and is threatening to inflict catastrophic flooding and landslides. Senator Ted Cruz urges Republican governors to keep it coming and sent more illegal immigrants to other Democrat-run areas. This as, this as six more buses arrive in New York City. A tragedy surrounding China's extreme COVID policy. A bus taking people to quarantine crashes, killing at least 27. But those on the bus reportedly tested negative. Good morning. Welcome to NTD. I'm Kevin Hogan. Good morning, and I'm Evelyn Lee. It's the 19th of September today, and today is the funeral of Queen Elizabeth II. The funeral of Britain's longest-serving monarch is attended by members of the royal family, as well as world leaders and heads of state. The body of the monarch began its final journey today. People across the UK will pause after the funeral in two minutes of silence to remember the Queen. The state funeral is attended by around 2,000 guests. President Joe Biden and the First Lady Jill Biden, along with others, other heads of state, are among those attending. And around 500 state leaders and royals from around the world will also travel there to pay their respects, including monarchs from Belgium, the Netherlands, Spain, Denmark, Norway and Sweden, and Commonwealth leaders. The Japanese monarch Emperor Naruhito and Empress Masako are also attending. Pope Francis said he will not be present at the service though, but will be sending a senior Vatican representative instead. The Queen will be laid to rest next to her late husband, the Duke of Edinburgh. The funeral service will end at 12 p.m. Following that will be a procession, a committal service and a private burial. There are some countries not invited. Britain does not have strong diplomatic ties with Syria, Venezuela, nor Afghanistan. Relations with Russia and Belarus have soured following Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Russia's military has used Belarus as a base to launch attacks on Ukraine. And China's leader Xi Jinping is not attending. Another official, Wang Qishan, will go instead. Some British lawmakers are angered because China banned UK lawmakers from traveling to China last year after they criticized Beijing's human rights abuses. And in other news, catastrophic flooding and knocked out power in Puerto Rico. The governor says they're working on bringing the power back on after Hurricane Fiona made landfall Sunday afternoon. The National Hurricane Center says the storm is already causing catastrophic flooding as it moves towards the Dominican Republic. Here are the details. The entire island of Puerto Rico was without power on Sunday as Hurricane Fiona made landfall and threatened to cause catastrophic flooding and landslides. Because of the storm's size, this storm will impact all of Puerto Rico. The flood warning for all of Puerto Rico is extended until Monday. The storm knocked out the territory's power grid, which remains fragile after Hurricane Maria caused the largest blackout in U.S. history in 2017. I think we have learned a lot from the last time. We didn't prepare because we thought nothing bad would happen. And look what happened. So this is why we really prepared this time and bought a power generator. 
The storm made landfall with maximum sustained winds of over 85 miles per hour, according to the National Hurricane Center. President Joe Biden declared a state of emergency Sunday. The move authorizes the Federal Emergency Management Agency to coordinate disaster relief. Authorities have opened up more than 100 shelters and are urging people to take cover. The storm is already being blamed for at least one death. Puerto Rico's ports have been closed and flights out of the main airport canceled. Torrential rains and mudslides were also forecast for the Dominican Republic as the storm progresses northwest, with the Turks and Caicos Islands likely facing tropical storm conditions on Tuesday. Fiona hit just two days before the anniversary of Hurricane Maria. That disaster caused nearly 3,000 deaths and destroyed the power grid in 2017. Power outages have been common since then. The U.S. Energy Secretary says agency officials deployed to Puerto Rico will assist with restoration efforts as it becomes safe to do so. And in Alaska, hundreds of people were displaced after heavy flooding from Typhoon Murbach destroyed their homes over the weekend. The governor there declared a disaster declaration in hopes of activating the state emergency operations plan. Remnants of Typhoon Murbach, uh, as you know, came through the Aleutian Islands. We saw seas as high as 50 feet out there, winds as high as uh, 90 mile an hour gusts. If the various data points and weather warnings won't do it, perhaps this imagery will. The remnants of a Pacific typhoon producing historic long-term storm surge, high winds and heavy rainfall thrashing the West Coast over the weekend. The November 1974 storm is kind of the benchmark storm. This could or, or even exceed approach that. The water is what's really doing tons of damage and just debris, so much debris. Communities underwater, homes upended, some of them seen floating away. But now a disaster declaration that formally activates the state emergency operations plan. A statewide coordinated response to help the many people so severely affected by this storm. We've been in contact with uh, leadership up and down the coast uh, from cities to boroughs to uh, our native corporations, uh, members of our federal delegation. We've also had a conversation with as well. Just preliminarily, we're trying to assess exactly uh, what has occurred. Again, this is a, almost a thousand miles worth of uh, storm front. The state said to be in assessment mode as of Saturday night with hundreds already displaced. Because we are quite literally in the midst of a storm, we are asking the question, what do you need? What do you anticipate you're going to need? But hopes for a quick and effective response as the colder season inches ever closer. According to forecasters, the storm is shaping up to be the strongest to hit the state in over a decade. In other news, Senator Ted Cruz is urging Republican governors to send illegal immigrants to three other Democrat-run areas. This as six more buses carrying illegal immigrants arrived in New York City yesterday. And today's Daniel Monahan has the story. The illegal immigrants flown to Martha's Vineyard by Florida Governor Ron DeSantis are already gone. On Friday, Governor Charlie Baker activated around 125 National Guardsmen to deal with the group of about 50 people. Instead of scrambling and worrying about a bunch of rich people and having 50, you know, by the way, they already bust them out. They're gone. They said, they said we want everyone, no one's illegal, and they're gone within 48 hours. They boarded buses, which will reportedly transport them to a ferry heading toward their final destination at a military barracks in Cape Cod. 
Critics such as Senator Ted Cruz have said the events in Martha's Vineyard illustrate the unwillingness of sanctuary cities to do the actual work that border towns must do on a daily basis. In one single day at Del Rio, there were 15,000 illegal immigrants. He says that illegal migration is not only a crisis when it comes to Martha's Vineyard. These blue governors and mayors are right, it is a crisis, but it's not just a crisis when it's the millionaires who are inconvenienced. Cruz is also urging Republican governors to send illegal immigrants to three other Democrat-run areas. He suggested Nantucket, Massachusetts, Palo Alto, California, and Rehoboth Beach, Delaware, all havens for the wealthy and powerful. Meanwhile, six more buses filled with illegal immigrants arrived in New York City on Sunday. New York Mayor Eric Adams says that the Republican governors are engaging in the erosion of basic human rights by busing illegal immigrants to other parts of the country, but says that New York is ready to handle the situation. We did it during 9-11. Uh, this is a city uh, that uh, clearly understands how to stand up and operate according to the crises that are in front of us. Republicans say that White House policies on immigration have triggered a massive surge in illegal immigration, and they have no choice but to transport the people to other parts of the country. But Democratic Senator Elizabeth Warren tweeted that exploiting vulnerable people for political stunts is repulsive and cruel. A report issued last month from the Federation for American Immigration Reform found that nearly 5 million illegal aliens have crossed into the United States since Biden took office. That is roughly the equivalent of the entire population of Ireland. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. A former law professor is touring across the United States to speak about election integrity and voting anomalies found in the 2020 presidential election. He was in Pennsylvania over the weekend, where our reporter caught up with him. And today's Jeremy Sandberg has more on what he and audience members had to say. Former prosecutor and professor David Clements is touring the country to talk about election integrity. It's a very controversial topic because, again, the mainstream media has a narrative that this was the safest and most secure election in history. And we just know that's not the case. He's traveled to over 40 states in the last year. So what we're trying to do is highlight where the vulnerabilities are, educate people on them, on how to minimize those vulnerabilities so people will have trust going forward. In attendance at Friday's event in Haverford were co-authors of the book The Parallel Election. They say they've faced intimidation, defamation, and harassment for presenting evidence of voter fraud in Pennsylvania. Our businesses have been attacked, our characters have been attacked, our families have been attacked, we've had uh, physical threats, people show up at our homes. Uh, special agents from the uh, federal government, uh, special agents from the state government show up at our homes. And obviously we were not intimidated because we published the book despite all of the, uh, all of the issues that we've come across. Audience members shared their thoughts on the irregularities presented at the event. We should ultimately go to a paper system. Um, how we get from here to there is probably going to be difficult. We're trying to get our Delaware County Council to reject the machines so that we no longer have to deal with them and to get back to hand ballots. You know, the censorship issue has really become a, a, a huge election problem now because people base their decisions on what they know and so much of what they know is controlled information and how it's given to them. 
Event organizer Joyce Schwartz says events like this are important in order to inform and educate people about how the current voting system works. As citizens, we feel it's our responsibility to learn as much as possible, and if we see issues, we need to have them fixed, and we need to address our governments um, so that they will be responsive to the people and, um, and have fair elections. Despite the challenges and opposition Clements has faced, he says he's going to keep going until there is a system in place that everyday Americans trust. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. Coming up, would U.S. forces defend Taiwan if China were to invade? Find out what President Biden had to say about it. And a tragedy surrounding China's extreme COVID policy. A bus transporting those considered to have been in close contact crashed on the way to quarantine killing at least 27. That and more after the break. Welcome back. President Biden says U.S. forces would defend Taiwan if China tries to invade the island. He made the statement on Sunday in an interview with 60 Minutes on CBS. Here's the clip. Taiwan makes their own judgments about their independence. We are not moving, we're not encouraging their being independent. We're not, let, that's their decision. But would U.S. forces defend the island? Yes, if in fact there was an unprecedented attack. So unlike Ukraine, to be clear, sir, U.S. forces, U.S. men and women, would defend Taiwan in the event of a Chinese invasion? Yes. However, the White House said after the interview that U.S. policy hasn't changed. That policy says Washington wants to see Taiwan's status resolved peacefully, but doesn't say whether U.S. forces might be sent in response to a Chinese attack. Taiwan's foreign ministry expressed sincere gratitude to Biden today. That was for, in their words, affirming the U.S. government's rock-solid promise of security to Taiwan. Biden made a similar comment at a news conference in Tokyo in May when he was asked, he was also asked if he was willing to become involved militarily to defend Taiwan if China invaded. He said yes. The White House also walked back that comment with a response that U.S. policy has not changed. And in Taiwan, a strong earthquake shook much of the island yesterday. It toppled a three-story building, temporarily trapping four people inside. Around 400 tourists were stranded on a mountainside. A passenger train was knocked off its tracks. Footage shows the collapsed Gaoliao Bridge as well as a roof collapsing on a gym. Since Saturday, dozens of quakes have rattled the island's southeastern coast. The magnitude 6.8 quake yesterday was the largest among them. Most of the damage appeared to be north of the epicenter in the town of Qishang. A three-story building collapsed in nearby Yuli town. More than 7,000 households were reported without power in Yuli, and water pipes were also damaged. The Japan Meteorological Agency issued a tsunami advisory for several southern Japanese islands near Taiwan, but later lifted it. There were, there were no immediate reports of serious injuries. And a tragedy surrounding China's extreme COVID policy in China, a bus reportedly taking 47 people to quarantine in the southwest area crashed before dawn, dawn Sunday morning, killing at least 27 and injuring 20 others. Local officials said the bus overturned on an expressway in Guizhou province. The injured were taken to hospital for treatment. Officials say that in the bus, there were people who had close contact with others who tested positive for COVID. 
Although they reportedly tested negative themselves, they were taken from Guiyang, the provincial capital, to a remote county about 125 miles southeast. China has maintained a strict zero-COVID policy that isolates infected people and those who are considered in close contact. However, these people do not necessarily test positive themselves. A solution commonly used by local authorities is to bus entire buildings or communities of residents out of the city to quarantine elsewhere. So far, officials have reported that nearly 10,000 people have been transferred. Many of them have reportedly been treated inhumanely. And coming up, pilots with homemade gliders are put to test at Taiwan's Central Harbor City of Taichung on Sunday. And top players might be winning big money at the Live Golf Series, but official World Golf rankings are yet to recognize the league. That and more after the break. Good to have you back with us. The golf world's third best player, Cameron Smith, wins Live Golf Chicago, and the team Four Aces takes another trophy home. Here's more. In his second start in the Live Golf Series, British Open champion Cam Smith takes home the trophy. A win at Live Golf means he will be $4 million richer, but unfortunately the win is not recognized by the official World Golf Ranking statistics. Hopefully close. I think for all the guys on the tour, it, it would mean a lot to get world ranking points. Um, you know, there's, I, I suppose there's a lot on the line with, with, the, with the ranking points, uh, getting into majors, uh, stuff like that. So, um, yeah, there needs to be one quite soon, I think. Um, you know, th the field here is strong enough and deep enough to where it warrants that, and um, hopefully it's soon. Smith shot three under par in the final round to finish at 13 under. Three shots under Peter Uline and teammate Dustin Johnson, winner of the last Live Golf event. Cam Smith is Live Golf's highest ranked player, and after finishing fourth in his first round of Live Golf, he is celebrating his win. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, probably that first event was the most pressure I've been under all year in, in the start of an event. Um, I feel as though I needed to prove to myself and, and probably more so to other people that, um, you know, just because I've changed tours doesn't mean I'm, I'm a worse player for it. I'm still out here to win. Um, you know, that's what we're all here for and, uh, yeah, hopefully we can keep this going. Smith started the day two shots clear of Dustin Johnson. After Smith bogeyed the fourth and the sixth, Johnson got within a stroke of the leader. However, Smith pulled ahead with a birdie on the eighth and secured the win with a birdie on the final hole. Smith and Johnson are both on the four aces team who won the team competition for the fourth consecutive time. Hey Kevin, do you think you can make a flying machine by hand? <laughs> well, I'm a handyman, but I'm not so sure about a flying machine. Well, I definitely can't, but these people in Taiwan did. Pilots with homemade gliders launched themselves into water in the central harbor city of Taichung on Sunday, and I can tell you it was a show. Thousands of spectators attending the event were cheering and laughing. Taiwan's first Red Bull fluke tack saw 45 teams of glider makers take off. The gliders and their pilots picked up speed from a 20-foot-high runway and flew as best as they could to land the farthest possible in the water. Some, though, just crashed into the water. But that's not the only highlight of the day. Spectators saw a team member proposing to his girlfriend, who said yes in tears. Oh wow, you know, that sounds like a fun challenge. I would do it, as long as I don't have to drink Red Bull. Yeah, 
I mean, I think I would do it too, but I'm just not handy t enough to make one. Hey, myself. you never know. You might try it one day. Maybe. From Taiwanese homemade flying machines over to a Frenchman who is a climbing machine. A Frenchman has scaled a 600-foot building for his 60th birthday. Alain Robert scaled the Total Energies building without a harness. He was armed with only a pair of climbing shoes and chalk to absorb the sweat from his hands. Robert wanted to show people that being 60 years of age is nothing, and you can still do fabulous things. He has been climbing for almost 50 years and has climbed over 150 buildings, including the world's tallest building, Dubai's Burj Khalifa. Robert has climbed the Total Energies building many times and says it isn't difficult. I've seen videos of him, and so we came to see him. It's very impressive. It's scary to watch, but I hope he won't fall. I promised myself several years ago that when I reached 60, I would climb that tower again, because 60 symbolizes retirement age in France, and I thought that was a nice touch. So daring. For some people, I guess physical age is just a number. Yeah, right. Well, in 2003, a 70-year-old Japanese skier and alpinist, Yorichiro Miura, became the oldest person to reach the summit of Mount Everest. But when the record was broken, in 2008, he once again climbed Mount Everest at age 75. And just to put it out of reach for the next person, on May 23, 2013, he again became the oldest person to summit Mount Everest at the age of 80. That's amazing. And nice, pro nice pronunciation there. <laughs> My Japanese isn't too shabby, I guess. <laughs> uh, that's all for today's, today's program. Remember to share your thoughts and your story at goodmorning at ntd.com if you'd like. That's it from us today. Thanks for watching. Have a great day. I'm Evelyn Lee. And I'm Kevin Hogan.